Welcome to Mad Toast Live, recorded in front of a live audience. We're at the Brink Lounge, 701 East Washington Avenue, right down the hill from the Capitol Building in Madison, Wisconsin. We're your hosts. I'm Mary Gaines, and this is Chris Wagoner. Hey, thanks for being in our, here on such a beautiful Sunday afternoon. It is uh, uh, Sunday, March 25th, 2012, here with the beautiful Brink Lounge with a gilded staircase descending to the... Uh, the side of the stage. I'm just w always waiting for somebody to come down there. Shouldn't it be called you know? like the mezzanine or like, something? Yeah, in a long Descending flowing. Descending to the mezzanine. Yes. Today's show is part of our collaborative Jazz on a Sunday series presented by the Madison Music Collective, Mad Toast Live, Improv Music Workshop, uh, and WRT 89.9 FM listener-sponsored community radio in Madison, Wisconsin. Also, Ward Brought Music, our presenting sponsor. And speaking of our guest this evening, the great Marion McPartland called him a pianist and composer of extraordinary talent and unusual ideas. This, coupled with a brilliant technique, makes, makes his every performance a musical gem. None other than Dave Brubeck calls him simply one of the most incredible pianists I've ever heard. Ooh. Best known for his work with, uh, with Mr. Elling, Kurt Elling, one of the top male vocalists anywhere at this point. Um, Lawrence is a multiple Grammy nominee and 2010 Grammy winner who has enjoyed a multifaceted and dynamic career. Musical director for Mr. Elling since 1995. He's played on, composed, arranged for, and co-produced all of Elling's CDs, each of them Grammy nominated. And their 2009 CD, Dedicated to You, Kurt Elling Sings the Music with Coltrane and Hartman, recorded live at Lincoln Center, won the 2010 Grammy for Best Vocal Jazz Record. He'll be uh, joined this evening doing the second set by Madison's own Lori Lang, John Becker, and Sally DeBrew. Yes? Without further ado, Mad Toast Live, the Madison Music Collective, Ward Brought Music, Improv Music Workshop, The Brink Lounge, and WORT 89.9 FM present Jazz on a Sunday with Mr. Lawrence Hobgood.
Thank you. Thank you very much. That's an original composition called Shirakumo no Michi, which is uh, Japanese for uh, White Cloud Way. And uh, I'd like to thank everybody for coming out this afternoon and uh, coming inside when it's so nice outside. Um, I'm going to uh, continue with a piece I just finished writing. And in fact, come to think of it, I haven't played this publicly before right now. So this is a little bit of a <laughs> world premiere. That's a, nice, that's a nice way of saying, I hope I don't mess up. Um, and I will just say, uh, without getting maudlin or anything, my uh, younger brother had a terrible stroke last fall, and uh, we thought we lost him. He is still here, uh, but uh, his life has changed quite a bit, and I know a lot of us probably have friends that have been through similar things. Anyway, this is something I wrote for him, and this is called Song of the Forgotten Land.
Uh, so, we have a uh, 
Speaking of sort of family things, uh, my family, interestingly, both sides of my family are uh, strongly attached to uh, uh, southern Appalachia, uh, southeastern Kentucky, and North Carolina and Tennessee. And neither of my parents were born there. Uh, my dad was actually born in the Belgian Congo. My grandfather was a missionary, and uh, my mom was born in Oak Park. Uh, but, uh, yeah, right, you know, get one in for, for Chi-Town. Um, uh, but uh, both uh, families hail from uh, the hill country down there, and there's a very strong um, uh, folk art tradition, tradition that got sort of, you know, handed, handed to me as I was growing up. Uh, so uh, I'm going to play a little medley uh, of uh, a beautiful, one of the first uh, Appalachian uh, folk hymns that I learned, uh, which is called Wondrous Love. And then I'm going to tie that uh, to a very early composition of mine uh, that, uh, that I wrote uh, for the mountains called uh, Cumberland. So this is uh, Wondrous Love into Cumberland.
Mr. Lawrence Hobgood. Thank you for coming. It's a treat to have you here tonight. My pleasure. Today, tonight. <laughs> it's always night if you're a jazz musician. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's why we pulled the shades for you. Yeah. It's a state of mind, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Leave the shades open. It's still night. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you for coming. You're, you're best known for your work with Kurt Elling. True. Great, great singer. When did you guys meet? How long have it? Well, it's 1993. Been... Okay. How, how did that come about? Well, it's a little bit of a funny story, and I'll try to tell the abridged version. I used to work with a... Uh, occasionally, I subbed with a society band that played at the Hyatt Regency, and uh, uh, the people in the band knew Kurt because he was singing with them on the weekends, and I never worked with their weekend band. I only worked during the week. And so we were sitting in tuxedos at the Hyatt Regency, and I saw the other people in the band waving at some young guy that had come in who didn't look like he belonged in the Hyatt Regency at all. Um, he was wearing, uh, he was wearing a, like a plaid wool shirt and jeans with holes in the knees, and he had hair down to his shoulders and about five-day beard gone. And I pegged him for exactly what he was, which was a grad student. Um, having grown up in an academic family, I knew a grad student when I saw one. Uh, and uh, it was funny because, uh, well, first of all, Kurt doesn't remember this, and that's Kurt. Uh, uh, God love him, but uh, he, he, doesn't, he, he finally admitted to me a few years ago that he doesn't recall this at all. Uh, the interesting thing that happened was that um, he was indeed coming in. That's the other thing I guessed was that he was coming in uh, to go with the band down to the employee cafeteria and have an amazingly cheap meal of hot brown food. <laughs> Otherwise, difficult to nail down exactly what it was, but it was cheap and it was hot. Um, and uh, just a couple of weeks later, uh, oh, oh, what I was going to say about that is that nobody, is one of those social situations, we've probably all been in them, where nobody introduces two people who don't know each other because nobody realizes that these particular two out of our group of eight or ten or whatever have never met. It just doesn't occur to them, so nobody introduces them. Uh, and that's exactly what happened over the next 45 minutes. Kurt and I sat there, and it was funny. Even though nobody introduced us and I had no idea who he was or that he was a singer or anything like that, there were several, let's just say, interesting conversational things that occurred uh, where he and I looked at each other and went, huh, really, is that so? Okay. It was weird because the vibe was like already there. We didn't even know each other. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, I was playing my regular uh, Monday night gig at the Green Mill with Ed Peterson. Uh, and that was uh, one of the most difficult, probably the most difficult band book as a whole repertoire that I've ever played still mm -hmm. to this date. Just insanely difficult. And Related to that was the fact that nobody ever sat in with this band because the music was so hard and we kind of had a thing we were going for and so uh, Musicians came and they listened and nobody ever sat in and uh, we f we finished the second tune of the second set and Ed got on the mic and announced that a young singer was going to sit in with us and I w was sitting at the piano going really <laughs> Like the best saxophone players in Chicago come by here to quake at Ed, who actually was probably the best saxophone player himself at that time. 
uh, but they never sit in, and then we're gonna, a singer's going to sit in. So then this young guy walks up, and I'm like, wait a minute. I know you. That's the guy from the Hyatt. Yeah. And it was. And uh, he and Ed had worked out, you know, I mean, he didn't just come up and sing Misty or anything like that. He had, he had uh, taken a look at a couple of the pieces that we did, and uh, that's the night we met, really, uh, even though we had met two weeks before without meeting. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did he do? I'm sure he did. Sure On he the did. Ed gig? Yeah. Oh, he did great. I mean, we're talking about uh, just barely postgraduate school pre-Grammy Kurt Elling. Yeah, right. You know, so uh, unformed clay, but, you know, clay of the, of the highest possible order, uh, you could tell. Yeah. Even at the time. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, we just started uh, working on stuff. I had a four-track cassette recorder. Remember those, right? Hated Brilliant. them. Yeah. Full, full analog, right? You know, and uh, 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 we were we did some crazy stuff. If anybody ever got a hold of that, we'd be in big trouble. Um, but I've made sure that that won't happen. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say people are going to start looking now. <laughs> no, this is pre-internet. Yeah, by just enough. Yeah. So being. Uh, you had already had a lot of experience playing different books, and obviously the, the the American Songbook in general. But we were just talking about the last couple of tunes. Obviously, the Appalachian inspired one, well, the the actual uh, traditional tongue song that went into this. Um, yeah, it kind of occurred to me that it was like Copeland going through a wormhole. Part of it, the way it swirled wow. around, but it was I, so beautifully harmonic. And I can honestly say that. that I would not aspire that high. <laughs> But thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, truly distinctly American, isn't it interesting? Oh, yeah. You know, when the, these, these when we hear these types of open sounds, you know, we kind of get a little bit clutchy. And the or tumbling something. chords yeah. upon each other, and it was very swirly. Swirly. <laughs> so, so there, swirly. I'm I'm good with swirly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But, but go, actually, going way back, I wanted to ask you about, I, I don't know that, um, you know, obviously all, all jazz players and all players come from different, different spots, but um, was ragtime ever a part of it? Being obviously, you know, kind of more or less the beginning of, arguably the beginning of jazz, um, even though in New Orleans they didn't play, they couldn't haul a piano out on the street and play, but in the bars and the saloons and everything, there's always the, the professor who was the piano player. And... Uh, was that an early inspiration for you? or? Yeah, actually, um, I played a lot of stride piano uh, when I was young. I played ragtime, mm -hmm. Zez Comfrey and Scott Joplin and, and whatnot, um, and uh, went through a phase where I was really, really into Fats Waller. And, uh, and uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, that's uh, really, you know, uh, very sort of uh, addictive sort of a of a thing the the stride piano thing tatum mm -hmm. you know obviously uh took it yet even further well further than anybody's ever really taken it still i think tatum is it possible to skip that step i was going to ask about that too you mean art tatum and bud powell being you know some kind of thought of as as being still one of the hugest influences on even modern jazz pianists is that true still or well, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you hear all kinds of stories. One of my mentors uh, when I was coming up was a great, great 
alto saxophonist, uh, older gentleman who had uh, had relocated to Champaign-Urbana to finish his life, let's just say in, in a healthier way than he'd lived the, right. the first part of it. Um, and he insisted that, uh, uh, you know, because everybody in, especially like modern jazz, tends to give credit for the origin of the, let's just say, the schematic of bebop uh, to Bird and Diz. But Guido insisted that Bird had transcribed Tatum solos. Uh, and, and he knew this for a fact. Um, and he was a pretty serious old yeah. dude, so I, I've always believed him, you know, that uh, it's a kind of a chicken of the egg thing, mm -hmm. you know, what, where did something come from? But I, I will say this, um, uh, I'm a strong believer in uh, uh, the, 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 let's just say, the healthy nature of keeping tradition. Yeah. Um, the uh, motto of the U of I jazz bands uh, when I was there was always, tradition is the basis for renewal and radical innovations will only come from those who are steeped in tradition. Um, and that's, that's just something that I really think is true uh, ideally, mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of young players, especially um, today, who skip over that older element. Um, and sadly, even skip over, you mentioned the Great American Songbook, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, uh, uh, I love Brad Meldow, he's a friend of mine, actually, you know, but, but uh, it always kind of gets me to scratch my head a little bit when I meet an 18-year-old uh, sophomore in college or freshman in college who, who knows, like, he knows five Mad, uh, Brad Meldow tunes, but he doesn't know Ain't Misbehavin' or right. I've Got You Under My Skin or right. whatever. Uh, so it's kind of a weird time we're in now in terms of uh, just really covering the classics and making sure that you learn what there is to learn from yeah. that. I think it, I wonder though it does tend to correct itself at some point. The older one gets, you know, the older they get, they'll go eventually because obviously they're going to run into people or in situations where they're going to learn probably the hard way. <laughs> well, know. you know, they Maybe. may and they may not because yeah. one of the sad to take some of the blame off of them. You know, this used to be uh, a country where um, let's see. Oh, I'm going to get on a soapbox here. Uh, this used to be a country where there was a pretty appreciable demographic of people who made a decent living from just playing music. They weren't on records, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but they played. They played in places like this. They played for weddings. They played for whatever, you know, and they bought homes and they raised families and they paid taxes and they were... Uh, you know, a, a, a small but contributing element of a society that, that worked, you know, pretty well. Yeah. And it's not that their numbers have been diminished. They're gone. That's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tunes playing at Moose Clubs and American Legion Halls and VFWs and, uh, uh, you know, at the time, quite honestly, a lot of the time I was bored out of my mind and <laughs> didn't know what I was doing there with these old guys, you know? Yeah. And now I wouldn't trade it for the world. Right. Wouldn't trade it for the world, yeah. you know? It's so. this incredible source of, 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 of things that you draw on and make your own. Absolutely. Perhaps, yeah. 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 
But that's where you learn a lot of those old songs is yeah. actually playing gigs, you know, yeah. and the gigs don't <laughs> exist anymore. So, yeah. you know, whether the youngins will learn them or not, I don't know. Have well, you ever tried playing one of those tack pianos? There's one in my mom's basement. I'm the one who put the tacks uh -huh. in it. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, playing that old style music in the yeah. taverns of the Western movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite, my favorite thing that ever happened was that I was playing some gigs in Southern Florida, and uh, uh, a buddy of mine took me on a boat up to Cabbage Key. This is off of Sanibel, like north of Sanibel Island. We went to this place where the guy that owned the bar literally didn't know what month it was. And there was this, and my friend had told me, he goes, if we go up there, if you play a little bit, man, we won't have to buy a drink all afternoon, you know? And he was right, man. We, I, this old piano was just like amazing. And there were some tacks in the hammers and everything. And I just played it the way it was and, uh, and you know, free beer, man. That's great. <laughs> So that could be an inspiration in an odd way, too. No, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so your latest uh, CD is When the Heart Dances, your solo CD. With Charlie Hayden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've heard, heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we heard yeah. of Charlie Hayden. Uh, that was a real honor to get to do that, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty Where did amazing. you record that? That was recorded at the Roy Disney Hall at CalArts. Um... And the greatest thing about that was that uh, uh, because we did it in L.A., in, uh, uh, Charlie was one of the founders of the, the Jazz Studies program at CalArts. And so it was kind of his backyard, and that meant that he brought in his Viome bass, which is a bass valued at close to half a million dollars. And, and he, doesn't, he never, never takes it out of L.A. anymore. And uh, it's just one of the most amazing sounding instruments that I've ever heard. And in fact, what was really nice about it was that a recent total rebuild on the nine foot Steinway in there made it, you know, in the same ballpark of excellence of sound so yeah. that it sort of made sense that you were hearing this instrument with this amazing bass. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, we recorded for two days and Charlie was beautiful. We had a great time. So you can hear that when the heart dances on the latest CD. It's on available on iTunes. We found out. As I well. believe it is available yeah. on iTunes, and I have a yeah. limited number here with me that ah. are out there. Um, Let's help make it even more limited uh, today. Well, you know, <laughs> overweight the airlines, man. <laughs> help you them gotta, out. Have a heart. Yeah. You gotta be. You can't be hauling 80 <laughs> CDs around anymore because they tag you for 100 bucks a pound or something yeah. like that. You know. Yeah. Well, we should let you get back to some music. Sure, I will play some more. All right, Mr. Um, Lawrence Hobgood. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to play one more uh, solo piece of my own, and then I'm going to ask my uh, uh, compatriots, your, your very excellent uh, fellow Madisonians, whom I'm consorting with this afternoon to come up and join me after that on uh, actually the title track from the record uh, that uh, was just being discussed. Uh, but first I'm going to play a piece that I wrote uh, dedicated to Keith Jarrett and this is called One Version of Happiness. Thank you. 
Please welcome Lori Lang and John Becker. And before we have a little intermission, we're going to play the title track of the record with Charlie Hayden. This is called When the Heart Dances.
Lori Lang on the bass back here. Mr. John Becker on the drums. And of course, Mr. Lawrence Hobgood on the piano. Well, we're very, very grateful to the Madison Music Collective for uh, this is a particularly interesting, I think, series this year and part of last season where we're pairing our, our national artist guests with some great local musicians. And thank you for, for doing this. And I'll be on board with it. It's a, it's a wonderful collaboration. Obviously, you work with lots of uh, vocalists. This, your latest CD... Um, <laughs> you got it right here. Oh, no, you get a microphone. Well, poem jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th this collaboration sounds very yeah, intriguing. Yeah, uh, I've gotten to do a collaboration with the poet Robert Pinsky, yeah. uh, who uh, is the only three-time uh, U.S. Poet Laureate in history, and this uh, really, really amazing uh, person, and, uh, and it just, it's, uh, it's just one of those... Uh, you know, things that, that falls in your lap sometimes. This is an amazing opportunity. Uh, the gentleman who published Kurt's Lyrics book is a guy named Richard Conley. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he uh, introduced me to Robert and introduced the idea to Robert um, that uh, it might be a cool thing. Robert has a very strong musical inclination uh, and I, I even, it's something of a, I don't want to say it's funny, but if you think about all the people that aspire to be musicians when they're younger and for one reason or another, uh, that doesn't seem like it's a practical choice. And so they, you know, usually drift in the direction of something where you're going to be able to earn a good living. I mean, stereotypically, that's the number one objection that people have to going into music, and here's a guy who didn't, couldn't make it as a musician, so he became a poet. <laughs> <laughs> and and hmm. things have worked out really, really well yeah, for right, him. Yeah. So that just goes to show you. The exception you know? to the rule, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, that's right. That's well, I voted right. for the guy, I know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it was really great. Uh, there's 14 tracks on the record, and on all but two of them, I'm just improvising while he... Uh, well, while he plays his poems, and I say it that way because um, Robert has a very musical uh, phraseology mm -hmm. concept about how he wants to deliver uh, in, an, in an oral sense. You know, he wrote a book on the sounds of poetry, um, and uh, he's got very strong ideas about that. And um, uh, when I say I was improvising, uh, I was improvising very thematically, so... A lot of, especially some of the tracks, really sound like songs that must have been uh, 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 pre-written. But uh, in point of fact, we just would sort of. Uh, I, I, I studied his poetry very. I mean, I'd read Pinsky poetry before, but this was different. This was, you know, I got to yeah. get inside this stuff. And uh, so he's uh, thinking musically as well. You say, oh, absolutely, -wise. totally musical concept. In yeah. fact, I'll just tell you that there's a certain. Well, uh, the, the really negative stereotype was embodied by an Ernie Kovacs character called Percy Dove Tonsils. If anybody remembers Percy Dove Tonsils with the, yeah. 
with the smoking jacket and the cravat and the huge uh, Coke, Coke bottle bottom glasses and the bad poetry is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the, you know the, the coffee house bongo image as well. This is something that Robert, that's anathema to him. Yeah. And uh, so it, it's all coming from a very certain space. Do you think, is this going to connect more with the, I mean, think about the, you know, the hip-hop and the rap generation that, that are, are really thinking also musically phrasing about their uh, poetry, their, uh, the rhythm of their words. Mm -hmm. it, is this, do you think there's going to be some, some of that crossover? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question. I, I don't really know. Um, it's the, very fresh. It just came out in February. It, it is, yeah. yeah. It's very fresh. Um, I, I, the thing, the, someone asked a question about this at a performance that, because we've been gigging and we've been doing shows. Um, and, you know, we, we live in a, 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 a time where our concept of rhythm is unconsciously pretty limited because there's, there's a lot of rhythm that isn't necessarily just absolutely adhering to a beat. Right. If I'm going to snap my finger at this beat, then I'm going to talk in <laughs> rhythms that fit this beat. But see, what I could do is just, I can say things that they have space in them and they definitely have rhythm and maybe yeah. it's going to kind of line up with what I'm doing and maybe it's not, uh -huh. you know? So, so there's this whole element to rhythm that just is, that's less regimented but still very real. Is that sort of the, quote, jazz element, do you think? Or is that too limiting? <laughs> uh, it's, that, that's a big part of it. Yeah. It's a big part of it, yeah. I'd like to hear a conversation between you and he describing how to, how to work out a piece. What does that sound like? What kind of language do you use? You know, it's <laughs> on, the, on the record, our, our, uh, our most lighthearted piece is a poem of his called The Green Piano. And when we were doing the, when we were making the recording, uh, this was one that we hadn't talked about at all. And so uh, I was in the piano and he was in the booth and we were looking at each other and I said, so, uh, stride or walking? And he said, stride. And I said, that's, that's what I would think. And he goes, mm-hmm. And I said, uh, and then I just, and we actually put that on the record. Yeah. Good. So you can actually hear us having this very brief conversation about yeah. about what we're about to do. Yeah. Um, he, uh, uh, you know, he had more to say on some tracks than others, but but really, you know, he he, uh, I was I got lucky. He liked most of the ideas that I had come up with, so I didn't have to torture myself. Too Does much. he basically use sort of poetic language to describe what he thinks he wants from you, or? Or is it more of a... No. Uh, uh, he, he, he just talks like a normal person when he's... Oh, okay. when he's We're trying to put him up on a pedestal. When now. he's just talking, you know. Yeah. Dig. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's, you know... Uh, um, well, like we've, we've done work for, for like uh, advertising companies or whatever, doing jingles and with sometimes with people that don't really know how to describe things musically. We say, I like it to... F it, it, could it sound more orange? You know, and you go, sure, you bet, absolutely. But we yeah. all have a vague concept of that, although yeah. describing it makes you sound silly. Yeah. Well, look, the one thing I will say is that there are certain um, 
more obvious places where that he didn't want to go. For instance, uh, uh, if 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 a poem of his would be undeniably, on balance, sad, he did not necessarily want me to play sad. That kind of direct, uh, very sort of superficial interpretation yeah. was not not what the thing was about at all. Um, and in fact, uh, in some instances, I actually had to, Richard and I had to sort of arm wrestle Robert a little bit. Um, for instance, there's a, one of his beautiful poems is called An Old Man After Cavafy. And um, I had read this poem quite a lot. And uh, we were getting towards the end of the sessions. And I said, uh, you know, I, as a producing records, you sort of learn how to uh, uh, develop an instinctive understanding of what you have up to this point, you know? What do we have? And so we were sitting there in the booth and I was like, we need something, we need one more thing that's just beautiful, you know? Just spacious and just beautiful. So we went in and we did a track of this old man uh, poem uh, where I was playing very, you know, uh, not, 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 deliberately sad, but just very austere, you know, and very, very open and quiet. And it's a beautiful reading that he does. Uh, and then we got to the end of that, and, um, and he said, well, you know, I would like to try it a different way. So we went back in, and we did a version of it where I was actually playing sort of a silly stride, uh, uh, kind of two-step over it. And he read it a completely different, different way. At the end of the poem, the old man who's been thinking about his troubles falls asleep in this noisy cafe. And uh, in the first version of it, the beautiful version of it, that's a very tender moment with some sad sadness tinged. Uh, uh, and then in this other version, when the old, old man, it's exactly the same poetry, it's exactly the same words, but when the old man falls asleep at his table, it's almost a little bit funny, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, I think Robert liked that version better, but Richard and I realized we really did need the super beautiful track to be on the record. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it, it is sentimental sounding, and it's getting into that territory that Robert wanted to kind avoid. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we had yeah. to kind of twist his arm a little yeah. bit on that. Well, I, we are totally digging this, this collaboration, too, and, and uh, thank you for all doing this. Miss Sally DeBrew here. You all have CDs here today, all of our, our... Yeah, these guys are great. You, yeah. You're lucky to have such uh, great players. Yeah. <laughs> Sally's uh, latest CD, The Way Love Can Be, has some folks on John Becker's on this, as on that uh, CD as well, Lori Lang, uh, Cliff Fredrickson and Jane Reynolds, and Jane did a wonderful interview on WRT with, uh, with Lori about this, this show coming up. And Randall Harrison. Yep. And Randall oh, Harrison Randall is on Harrison. it. Awesome. Yes. Randall's in the audience. Randall's right over there. Awesome. And Lori Lang, uh, at, at one point, uh, led the MMC. You were, the, you were our fearless leader at some point here. Many, many years ago. Yes. Yeah. I was the president. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm on the board. Yeah. And uh, we're having a good time. And, and the organization is really growing, as you can see from this concert. Yeah. We're, we're excited about our program. And, and Chris and Mary collaborating with the Mad Toast Live 
and having the improv workshop, we have an educational element now. So there's some things really exciting happening in the jazz scene, and we're actually emerging and, and cooperating with some of the other clubs, the Mass and Jazz Society, and also um, the Union Theater, Isthmus Jazz Festival. So there's some, some groups coming together that weren't talking before, yeah. and now we're doing things together. So it's really exciting. Um, we have a show coming up with Mary Stallings that will be collaborating with the Isthmus Jazz Festival and Union Theater on June 2nd. It'll be a free concert in Union Theater. Cool. So really exciting. And Lori has a couple CDs as well. She has Crossing Over and Beautiful Friendship. Also, some of the, sim some of the same folks on those. Mr. John Becker here on drums as well teaches at, uh, at, had the great pleasure of doing some workshops with him at his school in Sauk Prairie, uh, Sauk Prairie School in, um, in, in Middleton. Yeah, um, actually, Sauk Trail is Sauk Trail, that's what I meant. Sauk things. <laughs> this part of the state. Did, what did I say? Never mind. <laughs> but John, John's always a surprising musician. I mean, a drummer, and then very actually a really great piano player. And you, I noticed you had the accordion out today. And yeah. 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 I enjoy okay. doing A all couple those great CDs, too. Are You in a Band, the most recent one, and Time Stands Still of Originals. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so check it out. Yeah. I, well, I, I got to tell you one little funny thing. Yeah. We had some friends over from Europe one time, and they thought that... Um, Old Sock Road was really a funny name because yeah. they thought it was S-O-L-K. Or S-O-C-K? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they spell better than we do, too, which is kind of funny. Apparently. There's <laughs> maybe a Jonas Sock resident. You know, exactly. Polio reference right. or something. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. Back to some music. Mr. Lawrence right. Hopgood and the band. Uh, the next tune that we're doing is a tune that John wrote, and uh, Lori and John and I recorded it on the CD that Chris mentioned. It's been a pleasure to get the chance to play it also with Lawrence. It's called Goodbye. Ah. 
Mr. Lawrence Hopgood. Beautiful song by John Beckman. Excellent. With Sally DeBrew on the vocals, Lori Lang on the bass, John Becker back here on the drums. All have great albums in their own rights. You should look them up on the web, anywhere. Mr. Lawrence Hobgood, his latest CD, When the Heart Dances, duet recording with great bassist Charlie Hayden. Check it out in the latest uh, Project Poem Jazz collaboration with three-time U.S. Poet Laureate Robert Pinsky. Latest recordings on iTunes and elsewhere. And Lawrence is spelled A-L-A-U. R-E-N-C-E. Lawrence Hobgood. <laughs> I'm not known for my spelling. I'd like to thank our supporters. This program was made possible in part by grants from the John and Carolyn Peterson Charitable Foundation, the Dane County Cultural Affairs Commission, with additional funds from the Overture Foundation and Pleasant T. Rowland Foundation, dues from the Madison Music Collective members, and charitable gifts from the MMC board members and other local friends of the music. That's you. The producers are also grateful for support from presenting sponsor Ward Brought Music, program sponsors the Edgewater Hotel, Farley's House of Pianos, Janice Garler Galleries, Tri Unity Well Life, and the Cardinal Bar, as well as promotional support from WORT FM and the Isthmus, and support from our program hosts, the Brink Lounge. Right. Today's show is a part of our collaborative Jazz on a Sunday series produced by the Madison Music Collective and Mad Toast Live. And you can go to Ma uh, Madison Music Collective, find out more about them. You can become a member and, uh, and uh, help support this, this particular event and lots of other great shows. You can also go to our, our website, Mad Toast Live, and find out about more about our shows, download or, or stream those. Special thanks also to our technical producer in front of house engineer, Mr. Andy LaValle, Bear Sound. Audio intern, Mr. Adam Baranek. Video intern, Taylor Ryan. Our great piano technician, Mr. Stan Godfrio. <laughs> Sue Peterson, our MMC president. Howard Landsman, the secretary. And our lead grand writer, thanks to the Brink Lounge, WRT 89.9 FF listener-sponsored community radio. And thanks for listening. Right.